Last night, the Perkins, Sean and Donnell, they invited us to dinner, and we had waffles and fried chicken. Now, I have to say something about this because I did not know. I just, I just didn't know. You all know what I'm talking about? I, I'm sorry. I just didn't know. I didn't know it was possible to be that high on syrup. Um, I didn't know how good it is. And Danelle's, you know, she's a teacher, so she's making this stuff, cooking all this crack up in her kitchen. And, and, um, and she's saying that, uh, you know, this, this, where did this come from? She said, well, it used to be when the jazz musicians would stay up real late and all that was late in the restaurant, all that was left in the restaurant or whatever was fried chicken. But it was so late at night, like maybe two, three in the morning, that they also had waffles coming from the next morning. So they, you know, waffles and chicken from the two sides of the day. And so I'm feeling a little jazzy this morning. If I put, <laughs> put sunglasses on, go strange ways in the sermon, you'll understand that it's all because the Perkins got me high on waffles and fried chicken. Lord have mercy. How can you eat that more than once a year? That is just, man, it was good, wasn't it? Unbelievable. I want to say hi to Sterling. You guys do not get any waffles and chicken. We're going to have some here. I think we're going to all cut the service short here at GCC and go out and find some waffles and chicken. Anyway, it's good to see you guys. Glad you guys are around. Hope you're doing well out there. The Lord bless you this morning. Hey, uh, let's dive into the Word. You don't need to go anywhere right now in your, your Bible. We'll, we'll get there eventually, but I'll eventually be at Genesis 2. If you just, some of you just got that great training where you've got the Bible open and, and want to have it open the whole time, but I'll, it'll be a few minutes before I get there. Genesis chapter 2. I want to set this up with a story uh, from my life just a, a, some years ago, kind of me being an idiot. Uh, I was visiting some friends who owned a large house in England, and uh, their house was right on the edge of uh, the downs, if you know what that is, kind of these meadows that just go on forever. And they're all sweet looking, you know, nicely trimmed and green. They've got sheep everywhere and all that kind of thing. Uh, and, but, but at the same time, some of the most evil nursery rhymes in human history come off of these downs. You know what I mean? Where people get lost and get eaten by wolves and stuff like that. And so I had been in this house of this friend for a long time. A long time. Lots of people. Lots of noise. Lots of heat. The British keep their house at 150 every single day. Uh, and I'm a little bit of an introvert. Any, any introverts in the room? Come on. And so after a while, you've just got to go, right? There's got to be an escape's got to happen. You've got to crawl out a window. You've got to do something. You've got to go. So I decided like a fool uh, that I would go for a late afternoon walk, okay? So I, I finally did. And it, was, it, it, it just got to be too much. They had cats. The demonic oppression was too much coming off of them. It was it just more than I could handle. I had to go. So I put on my hiking boots and my shorts and my little T-shirt, you know, and I went out on the downs of England to go for a great walk. And I walked and I walked and I walked. And every time I thought about going back, I thought about the cats and the heat and the people and the evil presence. That No, I'm just playing. And, um, and finally, I realized I was three hours away in the middle of the downs of England, and it was pitch black. And... Uh, now, I feel like a fool, right? I'm not 17 or 12 or 10. I'm 35 years old, all right? And I am lost, and I've got sheep looking at me hungrily. You know what I mean? I, got, I li Literally, a wolf went by and looked at me and said, well, he's that stupid. I'm not even going to eat him. He kept on going. I mean, literally, a wolf walked by, 
and, and didn't even pay. He just knew I was going to die. He'd get me later. So I walked three and a half hours in the dark. I'm telling you, I've never been as lost in my life. It was one of those moonless English nights that starts every vampire, you know, book in the world. You know, it was horrible. And I, and I suddenly thought, I had that thought that they eventually work to in every nursery rhyme or every story like this. I literally had the thought, what I wouldn't give to be back with a cat in my lap, you know, by the fire, lots of noise, you know, oppressive smells from the kitchen. You know what I'm talking about. All the stuff that I was irritated about before, I would have given anything to have, 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 have again. And finally, finally, uh, a car pulled up. I mean, we are, it feels to me like I am in the middle of like the Sahara Desert. Just, I mean, of course, it's England. Just out there, I'm cold. I haven't dressed properly. It's wet. I'm hungry. You know, I'm about to sit down and have a, you know, little red riding hood crying moment. You know, I mean, I'm just feeling like a lost little girl. And, and finally, not that there's anything wrong with little girls. And, um, and finally, this car pulls up and the Australian cook, now you do not want to be rescued by an Australian cook of a wealthy person. Uh, Australian cook says, have, have you gone walkabout? I didn't know what it meant, but there was an empty seat next to her in the car. So I jumped in, got in the car, and she couldn't keep herself from giggling all the way back to this house. And I got in that house, and I got as close to the fire as I could, and I welcomed as many cats into my lap as I could, and I ate stuff I don't even like because I was home. You know that feeling? I was just home. Now, I'm telling that story not just so I can tell you what a nitwit I can be, but I want to talk to you today for a few moments in relation to the video that we just saw about the difference between space and place. Would you write that down if you're taking notes? Space and place. There's a difference between space and place. I don't mean outer space, okay? We can talk about outer space some other time. But space and place. When I was in that house, I had place. But I sought space, and that's what got me in trouble. And while I was out there enjoying space, I longed to have place. Now let me find these two words. These are two very important words. In fact, for some of you, the distinction between these two words is really a major issue of your destiny. I, I just want to say openly, and I had, to, I had to learn this the hard way. Let me tell you what space is. Now, space is used in architecture, space is used in physics and all kinds of things, but I'm, I'm talking about a, a sort of social space, a space in your life, okay? Space is what most people want. They want to be away from things, people, to have freedom. They define freedom. The American dream is a lot about freedom from things, right? Space is about being free. It's about being without things. And what are some of the things that you're without when you want space? When somebody says, I just want space, just give me space. Well, I don't mean that, you know, like the mom saying that at the end of the day when she's tired. But I'm talking about when this is a lifetime motivation, when this is something people want long term. Space means I don't want to be confined. What's that old country western song? Don't fence me in, right? Space means don't confine me. Don't, 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 don't press boundaries in too much on me. Give me space. I want space. I want to, I want to go find space. I want to be free. It means no authority, right? 
If you want, if you want in your lifetime, I'm not talking about just for five minutes, but in your life, if you, just, just let me go find space to be me. What you're saying is I don't, want an, I don't want authority around to tell me what to do or to control me in any way. Space is about what's not there. What's not there is confines. What's not there is authority. What's not there is constraint. I don't want to be constrained. I don't want to be responsible for that. I want space. I want to be out free. I want to own a piece of land, some kids will say, out in the woods. And I just want to, be, I just want to have space to be who I am. I want a freedom from definition. I want a freedom. I want to be free from obligation. I want to be free from responsibility. I want to be free from authority and externals pressing in on me. I want to be free. I want space. That is like the American dream. That's why the symbol we like is the eagle flying around in the sky. I know he's also our symbol from history, and I appreciate that. But, but I, I also think it's funny that, the, that our um, very few people have ever lived, ridden a horse in America or lived on the frontier, but our favorite symbol of freedom is the cowboy, you know, the Marlboro man. You know, I don't know about you. I've never, that's not my version. The first time I got on a horse, I almost died. So I, I'm not thinking that's a, that's a great expression of freedom. But you understand what I'm saying. We Americans, and I'm not picking on this other country, but, but our culture basically says that the ultimate condition of freedom and fulfillment is space, distance, uh, absence of obligation, absence of responsibility, absence of confines, absence of authority. I want to be free. And the, the problem with that becomes that, that normally that version of freedom does not end up, like in my story of walking away from the house in England, does not end up producing peace and freedom. It ends up producing loneliness and bondage. In fact, it's interesting, I looked up the word rebel yesterday just to see if it fit anywhere in what I was about to say. And the number one definition of rebel in uh, several of the dictionaries I looked at was one who resists allegiance. One who resists allegiance. Now, that's been me in a good portion of my life. I'm sure it's been you. If you are an old hippie or you come out of the 60s or you come out of certain cultures, resisting allegiance. Not, not one, don't fence me and don't, don't obligate me too much. I might want to hook up for the night. I might want my, my gang just for a few moments. I might want my band of brothers just for a few moments. But don't, don't press on me. Don't define me. Don't, don't, don't try to control me. Don't dominate me. Don't fence me in. I want the absence of all, that th all those things, and I call that freedom. But here's what I know. When I had that kind of absence, I made a mess of my life. I made a mess of my life. And so there's something about that that's not, not quite, quite working. In fact, the second definition of the word rebel uh, is, is what I do all the time. The word rebel actually means, if you look at the word rebel, re, to do it again and again, and then bell is not, the, not bell like a ringing bell, but it's from the Latin word bellum, which means war. So rebe rebel means someone who's constantly making war against something. Anybody see themselves in that? I see myself in that. Uh, you know, remember that old movie from the, what was it, 50s, Rebel Without a Cause? I was just mad, angry, railing against everything and didn't know why. And they always would ask me the why question, like the principals that, and people whose cars I'd just done things to and stuff like that. And I, I didn't have any answer. I was just mad, just mad and hurt and upset and didn't know why. And I turned it into that kind of rebellion. So what I'm saying is that our culture tends to be turned towards a kind of a freedom defined by absence of obligation and definition and constraint, okay? 
And even as I say those words, I, there's a part, even a part of me now that goes, awesome, and I know better, you know, because it's just ingrained in, in our American thing. But place is what we really want. Place is what we really need to have. Place is position defined by belonging. Place is a position defined by your relationships. Listen to this. Place is where you fit because of the factors that define your life. The factors that define your life. I don't fly planes and I don't, you know, I don't know anything about sailing and so on, but I have heard on television movies and from my friends who do those things, the word coordinates. And I'm, I'm going to get a pilot sometime today in, this, in one of the services to explain this to me exactly. But what I understand is many times when you're trying to tell somebody on the, on the radio where you are, you don't say, I'm at point two, point six. Normally, you give them coordinates. I'm so many miles north and I'm so many miles east and that line intersects and, and the folks you're talking to, you give them coordinates. There are certain, certain values, it says technically in the definition, there are certain things that define where you are. So your place, where you belong, where you fit, is not defined by looking for that exact place. It's defined by what values you have that position you where you ought to be. For example, your place is defined by about four things. I'm talking about spiritually and, 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 and uh, in terms of the people of God. Number one, your place is defined by the land God has called you to. Where has God, where has, where has God called you? What, what land has God called you to? Where, where, has God, where is God placing you? Okay? It's not a question we hardly even ask today. We're mobile. We move so much. We, we, we move around. But, but, but your, your, your place is in part defined by what land God's called you to. It's also defined by the people God has called you to. The people God has put you among. God, the Bible says time and again something like the Lord puts the lonely in families. The Lord puts the disconnected in place. There's a setting for each of us. You understand what I'm saying. There's a, there's a place that we belong. A place that we ought to be set. And it comes about because we are put amongst a people. Everybody in the Bible who fulfills an ultimate destiny, is eventually put amongst the people. There's also the season God has you in. What season are you in? I'm in a season of training. I'm in a season of this. I'm in a season of that. Not just your season of life, middle age, 20s, you know, millennial, old age, retirement. I'm not talking about those sort of natural seasons of life. I'm talking about uh, the seasons God has you in. One of the great gifts, one of the great responsibilities of Christians is that they know the season God has them in. What season are you in? What is God doing right now? What, what is the field assigned to you? What is it that you're meant to be about for this time in your life? That defines your place. And then finally, what are the purposes God has called you to? What are the purposes God has called you to? I'm concerned that in the church today, we have lots of people who are tourists in the church of Jesus, who are stopping by to see what it's like for a little season, right? Who are walking through their friend's house and having some chicken and waffles, but not staying in relationship. Now, I'm just playing about that because we're dear friends. But you understand what I'm saying? We're tourists. 
I live in Nashville, part of the year, tourists show up, they mess up the traffic, they take some pictures, they ask you where the nearest star is, they get to the restaurants before you, right? They dump their trash and they leave, right? I'm having fun. But, but they leave, okay? And contribute nothing and have really not drawn much from what is the life of the city and the life of the, you know, certainly the people of God, haven't really drawn much because you don't really gain much when you're taking pictures and, and just stopping in for a short time. So we have lots of tourists in the church. And that's why we have a lot of people in any city in America touring church, doing the, that dance that all of you know well, we all know because we watch it, the old church hop. Somebody's got to write a song. Where is Tiff? Tiff's probably hearing me in the other room. We've got to have a song called The Old Church Hop because you know what I'm talking about. People, you know, we've learned that when a new church gets planted in community, most of its people are not new believers. They're old believers unhappy with, their, with the, their, where they were supposed to be, and they're on a tour. And they got on their tour bus that morning, and they went to the next new church, and, and they checked it out. And, and when somebody else has a bigger show down the road, with bigger ponies and clowns, they'll, they'll go there. Now, now, some of you think, man, he's awfully angry for first thing in the morning. You know, it's like, could you just hold off till the other service to be really ticked off? No, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. But what I am is concerned that we are heading into some exciting but some troubled times. And a great many of believers in America have absorbed from our culture a kind of a conditional commitment. A kind of, I'll put my toe in, but I'll, oh, if it's not comfortable, I'm leaving. Right? You know, I've talked to a lot of people who have left churches, and you will not believe why people believe churches. Because the the towels are are electronic in the men's room. And that's really not befitting the people of God. And I've I've, I've humorously grabbed my Bible in front of them and gone, where does it say anything about infrared towel dispensers? I'm I'm trying to be with you. But I can't imagine being that offended about how the bathrooms are built. You understand what I'm saying? Or whether the pastor is wearing a bow tie or whether he opens a Bible or, or has the Bible memorized or whether he uses keynote. You understand what I'm saying? If you're looking to be offended, you'll find a reason. The thing I want you to understand is that all of this is coded in all of us because we're all sons and daughters of Adam. And I want to just take you very quickly because I want you to see that this is not just me having an opinion. This is what the fallen nature does. It tours, it resists definition, it works against place and belonging. The place and belonging that allows us to fulfill destiny. Let me just take you there for a few moments, okay? If you come down to Genesis 2, and I'm just going to hop scotch through it, but you can jot these down. First of all, God makes man. It says in Genesis 2-7, using God's version of the Bible, the NIV, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God made man, therefore he knows what man needs. He knows, he's a manufacturer and he knows how the thing ought to work, right? In, verse, in the very next verse, 2-8, now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So he not only made the man, he made a place for the man. He he made exactly where the man needed to be, and it provided richly for him, right? Well, then in Genesis 2.15, it says the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So now the man's not only made by God, put in the right place by God, he's given his work and his assignment. 
which is a lot of what defines you. What is the purpose to which you are called? What is the thing you're devoted to do? And then here's the awesome part. All right, men, get ready to say amen. Then the Lord God made, the Hebrew I'm sure says, righteous fox from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So the Lord not only has made this man, knows what he needs, put him in a garden perfect for him. If it was me, there'd be Oreo trees and Snickers bushes, and you understand. Gives him the right work to do, and then brings him the babe perfect for him. Come on, men, help me out. Men, if you will cheer right now, your wives... Don't tell Brett I'm doing this. And then, finally, finally, he should be happy. But oh no, because there's a snake. But what's important is not this, that there's a snake, and you know that snake's the devil. But listen to what he says. Listen to how the devil tempts him. For God knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, that's all fancy theological language. It comes out of the Hebrew a certain way. But you know what's really being said there? God has defined you. He doesn't want you to eat from this one tree, because if you do, you can define yourself. Ye shall be as God. Right? You can define yourself. Well, I don't know about you, but every time I've defined myself, it did not go well. I ended up on the downs of England, about to be consumed by a flock of raging demonic sheep, right? And you have your version of that. I have my version of that. You ended up Wherever. I'm not going to go through the whole list of sins and things we can do. What happened then with Adam was that, first of all, he had a disconnection at every level that God had created for him, for his good. He had a disconnection from God, right? After the fall, he's banished from the garden. You know, it had been that they were walking in the cool of the garden, right? There was an enemy, there was a closeness, but there's a disconnection. There's a disconnection with the righteous fox, the woman that he's made for him, because now you can see the relationship changing rather than being one and them being co-heirs and so on. Now she's, there's some kind of a, you've got to serve your husband thing. And, you know, it's, a, it's changed, it's shifted from the, from the oneness that was intended. Uh, he's disconnected from his work, right? Isn't that what God says? Well, now, you know, it used to be that you just... Things just grew for you and took care of you. Now you're going to till the ground and it's going to be hard and there's going to be thorns and broccoli and okra and the whole thing's going to be cursed. And then there's a disconnect with the land. He gets banished from the garden. And rather than having God put an angel to protect him and care for him, God puts an angel to do what? To keep him out of the land of his destiny. Why? Because he wants to be self-defined. So what interests me is this. You come down to chapter 4. If you're tracking through your Bible, you can jump a little bit. You guys know the story. We go through all the Adam and Eve stuff. Adam and Eve have children. They got this son named Cain, right? Cain kills his brother. And look what happens here. It says in verse, oh, about 13, chapter 4. Actually, verse 12. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, I want you to underline those words if you write in your Bible. If you think it's sin, write it in your notebook. I don't care. Just memorize it. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be, here's those words again, a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now, here is the son of the man who should have been the inheritor, been the receiver of a garden. 
and an awesome family and, and beautiful children because even if Adam was scraggly, Eve was awesome. And you follow what I'm saying? It should, he should have inherited all, but no, what does he inherit? He first of all inherits all the, all the curse that Adam was given because of his disobedience, Adam and Eve. And then he goes and creates more curse on top of that. And he's labeled a rootless wanderer. Think about that. One generation from the father who was given place and community and land and destiny. And, as some people call it, a dominion mandate. A call to rule the earth and populate the earth and and raise up a mighty family. And instead, one generation later, one generation later, his sons, Adam's sons, Adam's one son, and then the, you can tell from the race after that, are ruthless, or it says restless, wanderers in the earth. If you keep following, I won't do it now, but if you keep following Adam's line, it goes on down, you find murderers, you find a man named Lamech boasting that you know, he has killed a young man for harming him. It goes on and on. It ends up in Babylon you know, a Tower of Babel, you know what I'm talking about. And the men are trying to still, trying to define themselves. Hey, let's build a tower and let's not be separated. And let's, you know, whatever we do, we'll be, we'll be awesome in our, in our strength. And God looks down and says, these guys are trying to do it all on their own. And he strikes them. You, you know the whole story. But what is it all about? It's all about rebellion against being defined by the vectors, by the, by the coordinates of God. We want to define ourselves. And I know it's a hard message. This didn't come easily uh, for me. I don't mean the message. I mean in life. You know, I, had a, I grew up in a military context. Had a lot of people telling me what to do. A lot of people telling me what to do. Everybody, when you're on a military base and you're kind of a rebellious 17-year-old, uh, is about to jump on your case. And, and that's, that's fine. That Frankly, they needed to. But the point is that there comes a moment in your life when you know Jesus and you trust him and you believe he's the destiny weaver and the author and the finisher of your faith. That you trust him to set the coordinates that determine your place. And for a lot of believers, they're not growing because they're not planted. They're not advancing because they're not part of a team or an army. They're not, they're not serving and fulfilling their gifts. If I'm called to be a teacher but I won't team with people, who am I going to teach? If I'm called to be a, a center, you know, in a football game, and I won't get on the field with anybody, what do I do, hike to myself? I mean, this makes no sense. I've seen that happen in the NFL, haven't you? I sh- probably I shouldn't pick on the NFL. I'm thinking maybe that's, not, that's probably not my best game up here. But you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you can't, whatever you're called to do, you've got to have context in place and belonging to do it. And so one of the things that we're trying to do here at GCC that we're very excited about, and you saw only the introductory video to it at the beginning of our time together, is that we want to say to people, we're not just asking you to tour through here. I mean, I know the music's awesome, and I know Brett preaches powerfully, and I know that, you know, we got awesome ushers with flashing things. We've got a great room to hang out. We've got coffee and children's ministry. I mean, I know it's a cool place to tour through. But it's time to belong. It's time to plant yourself. And, and, I, and I, I, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying this not on my own. I think every pastor would say this. I, I, I hope that Brett would say it because I'm about to say it. He'll sure call me on Monday if, if I'm not supposed to say it. But I think he would say it. Belong here or belong somewhere else, but belong. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, we, we love you. Stay, please. We're happy. That's what we're all about. But, but don't live 
and kind of an indecisive half in, half out. I'll just check out nine or ten different you know, places and maybe eventually, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Belong somewhere. Be planted. Let the coordinates that God has given you of your destiny and your purpose and the t- people he's put you among and the thing he's called you to do put you in place. Space is lonely and fruitless. Okay? I mean, you know I'm talking about spiritually and in, in, in church. I'm not talking about like having your own room or something, okay? But place is where life happens. In your seat back pocket, there's a little booklet that they've been working hard to, to print. You can just look at it if you want to for a minute. You don't have to do it now. We got a new course, a little video course called Life at Grace. It introduces the whole church. And Brett tells the story of his planning of the church and the years before he got here, even, even his history as an African-American man in America and what, what that did to him and God, how God used it. A number of the pastors get on there and talk about things. And you know, it's not because we're just trying to brag about the church. It's our way to welcome you. It's our way to say, we want you to find a home here. So just like, just like Sean and Danelle did last night, they said, well, now here's, here are the rooms and here's the bathroom and here's where the food is. And you stopped being a visitor about 20 minutes ago. You're just, this is, this be here is your house. They gave us a key, you know, but I'm going to be using that. And, and, uh, you know, he's got some video games I like. And, and so they said, this is your house. So this is what we're trying to say to you. Belong, be here. Don't tour through, plant yourself, belong, belong here. And I'm not being mean. Or belong where you're supposed to belong. Some of you just came here to see like the Lincoln Memorial. Like, I didn't really mean to join a church. I live in California. No, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying you gotta, not saying you gotta stay today. We got like cots in the other room. We're just saying find a place, man. Plant yourself. Be part of something that the coordinates of your life define. Amen?